Today's message is a message that has been on my heart, especially over the last few weeks. And it's partly because it's something that I feel like I'm also personally walking through as well. I've preached before from a similar passage. So from 1 Kings chapter 18, this is uh, obviously known as a passage where we see the prophet Elijah defeating, you know, the prophets of Baal on top of Mount Carmel. And I preach on this before how Elijah exhorts the people of Israel saying, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And this idea of how how long will you waver? You're not given the luxury of standing and, and sitting on the fence. You have to make a decision and go all in. It is the time to cast aside all idols, to put them to death, and to follow the one true God. I preached this message before. And going even further back, I've also preached a message titled, When You've Had Enough, on what happens after this immense you know, show of power when Elijah is chased into the wilderness and is restored by God is met by him, the form of a gentle whisper, and he's given a new mission. I preach on what happens after this mountaintop experience, when you feel abandoned, when you feel persecuted for the things that you feel that God had led you into, what happens then and how God so gently restores us to that place of faith. Once again, when we find like we have reached the end of a rope, God in his mercy in his generosity, he picks us back up and he reminds us that we have still a mission. We have still a purpose and there is more to come. But sandwiched in between these two sections is a very interesting occurrence. And that is what I actually want to zone in on today. That's what I'll be preaching on today. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to open up to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. It's always beneficial for you to, you know, if you have your physical Bible open, um, I will have slides, but it's always, there's something very special about following along in your physical Bible. Uh, so you know that, you know, it's not taken out of context and you can see it for yourself. You can read it for yourself. So 1 Kings chapter 18. I'm going to read uh, verse 1 just to give us context, but then I'm going to uh, skip on to verse 41. So starting with verse 1, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1, it reads, After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Go and present yourself to Ahab. And I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. So we see a snapshot of what God is asking prophet Elijah to do in the midst of persecution where he has to hide. This is the moment that God calls him out of hiding now to confront Ahab. And now we skip on to verse 41. This is after the major showdown on top of Mount Carmel, where the fire of God falls upon the altar offering and eventually leads to the, uh, the, the killing of 450 prophets of Baal. This is a massive victory for the people of God, a massive victory of Yahweh over these lesser gods. And now we pick up the narrative at verse 41, and it reads, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go. 
eat and drink for there is the sound of heavy rain. Let me remind you that they're three and a half years into a drought. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, Hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain came on and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Now, The context and the background for the major showdown in Mount Carmel was a three and a half year long drought. It's almost as if Israel's spiritual condition of lackluster devotion to God, the mixture and the compromise and the idolatry that had infiltrated the spiritual life of the nation was now being reflected in the natural as well. It was, so it wasn't just a spiritual drought, but we are seeing it now in the natural. Now it's not just dryness of heart in their love and devotion towards the one true God. Now they're seeing it in the natural as a drought as well. This is the setup for the most You know, one of the most astounding miracles that we see through the life of Elijah the prophet. The reason why I'm preaching on this today is partially, as I said, because I personally, myself, have been going through a season of unusual, like, dryness and uh, it's, it's like hard to engage with the Lord. It's not as easy as it normally is. Now, this might come as a shock to many of you because I could, I wish I could tell you that every day I wake up like full of love for the Lord and I jump out of bed and go deep into the word every day that I open up my eyes in the morning. I feel the closeness and the presence of God in my life that I never struggle to connect with God and to connect with his word. But that's simply not true. More often than not, I need to fight to get there. More often than not, I need to push past all these distractions, all this fatigue, all this discouragement. I need to wage war on hard-heartedness because that's the natural state of my heart. I am a hard-hearted person that has a hard time connecting with the Lord. I am a person who gets so easily bored. I need to carve out time in my over-scheduled busyness. I need to wrestle through the offense and the pride and the self-sufficiency. And I sometimes experience 
this feeling of spiritual dryness where I can't seem to easily enter into his presence, where I can't seem to feel his closeness. And it's a very uncomfortable feeling. And so here's my question for you today. Are you experiencing a form of a spiritual drought? Because when you've been in the drought for long enough, when you have stopped feeling his closeness and his presence and hearing his voice, you begin to think that it's normal. You begin to desensitize your heart. You begin to believe that it's your lot, that it's your portion, that this is his will for your life and that there's nothing that you can do about it. You've, if you begin to entertain those thoughts. And so if you've been going through a season of a spiritual drought where you've been finding it hard to connect with God's word, if you've been making a feeling like it's hard to enter into his presence where you don't feel his closeness, my desire for today's message is to figuratively, you know, take you by the shoulders give you a figurative shake and tell you that you were made for more. This is not your lot. This is not your inheritance. This is not God's will for your life. You need to keep praying, keep pressing in, keep showing up to the fight. Don't give up and don't defer this to another future day. My exhortation is don't just get through the season of drought. Don't just wait it out. Actually leverage the season of drought. And so that's my message title for today. Leveraging the drought. It will require you to put to death your idols. It will require you to get down on your knees and pray and cry out to God for him to move. Maybe not three or four or seven times, maybe 70 times. It will require you to believe and press in and fall down and get back up again and fight and wrestle with doubt and disappointment. But the drought that God is bringing you through is not your lot. That is not your inheritance. That is not, that is not what God has willed for your life. What does this drought look like for you in this season? What is it that God is trying to lead you into? Now, a drought might be exactly not what you want, but maybe what you need right now to jolt you out of your comfort zone. And I know that that's true of me as well. When I break through with the Lord, I just coast for a season and I don't have to try hard. And it feels like I connect with him with ease. But then there comes a point where I get comfortable. There comes a point where I, re- I, I realize that I don't find myself seeking and knocking and asking. And in those seasons, when I just find myself coasting, I realized that maybe what I need is a season of drought that will jolt me out of my comfort zone. Because a drought isn't just a season of stalling and of nothing happening and just holding pattern. It is actually a very fruitful season. The first way in which a drought season is a fruitful season is that it is the time to uproot idolatry. It is a time to uproot idolatry. This time of drought 
that the Lord brought Israel through was a time that God deemed to be the hour to finally confront the idols in the land. Enough was enough. And now it was time for the Lord to, con- uh, to confront these idols. And so as you're walking through your own drought, maybe it is the hour that God has ordained for you to confront your Baals, your Ahabs, your Jezebels, your prophets of Baal. Why was it that God chose to showcase his power in the middle of a drought? It was intentional that God ordained in the middle of this three and a half years of drought. That was the moment that God said, it's perfect timing now to uproot these idols. It was like God intentionally made it as clear as possible that these idols were powerless And the only God that could bring down fire on the altar in Mount Carmel would also be the only God who's able to rain down on the drought. It's as if God were proclaiming from the mountaintops, literally and figuratively, if the gods of Baal can't bring down fire from heaven, then they most certainly can't bring rain down on a three and a half year drought. Because you see, droughts afford us an opportunity to see just how bankrupt our idols are. Just how unable to deliver on their empty promises. Just how unable to save they are. Sometimes you need to be let down by a person before you realize that you have been putting all your hope in them. Sometimes you need to... You need things in your life to not go the way that you would want in order for you to realize that all your eggs were in that basket. Sometimes you need to see yourself fall before you realize that you were full of self-righteousness and pride. Seasons of drought are a gift in that all of a sudden, you see your idolatry more clearly than ever before. When you see yourself running to other things for comfort and for significance and for a sense of accomplishment or a sense of belonging. Although we think we know, sometimes we need to see it. Sometimes we need to experience it. Sometimes we need to see for ourselves just how powerless those things are to save. They are blind, deaf, mute, powerless idols that are unable to save. And so the drought season in God's mercy can become a window of opportunity for us to see our idols for what they are powerless, unable to save, unable to satisfy. And you can confront those idols in that season of drought. A second way that a season of drought is a season of fruitfulness is that it is the time to pray and to exercise your faith. I love that the prophet Elijah said, There is a sound of heavy rain coming before there was even a cloud in the sky. 
The sun was still shining. The sky was still blue. And he went up, back up to Mount Carmel, where God has just brought fire down to cry out this time for rain. And the Bible says that he bent down and put his knees between, uh, put, his, put his head between his knees. This is a very unusual posture for prayer. So if you were, were to think about it, it's almost like Prophet Elijah down in a kimchi squat, like kimchi squat, and then he puts his head between his knees, so he bows his head. This is a very unusual posture of prayer. It's different from the posture of prayer when you are lifting up God in praise and thanksgiving. It's different from when you're kneeling down in repentance. This is a posture actually used for birthing, like literal child birthing, birthing. It is with that same kind of intensity, with a sense of purpose and fierceness of faith that Elijah gets down and he puts his head between his knees and in the place of prayer births forth breakthrough for the nation of Israel. He not only knows that God will answer, but that God will use his prayers to birth it forth. He prays seven times, sending his servant out to look at the horizon seven times before his servant comes back to say, there is the cloud, there is a cloud the size of a man's hand rising up from the sea. Now, if you were to imagine this, you are on top of a mountain and you're looking out into the horizon and you see a cloud the size of this rising up from the horizon. So from a mountain to, it looks like like barely like anything. It's barely a cloud. It took seven times before this cloud, the size of a man's hand, begins to rise up from the sea. Can you put yourself in the shoes of the servant where you are by Elijah and you see him praying and Elijah says, all right, hey, go out and look into the horizon and see if you see God's answer to prayer. And so the servant goes out, scans the horizon, squints his eyes probably, looks around every possible direction before going back in and saying, there's, there's nothing. Prophet Elijah, I, I know that your prayers are powerful, but there's nothing. God's not answering this prayer. And then Elijah gets back down again and prays one more time. And then tells the servant, go back out to look again. And so he's like, okay, well, that first time didn't work, I guess, the second time. And he goes out and does the same thing. He did this seven times. If I was a servant of Elijah, after time, like the third time, I'd be like, okay, um, you should go out of luck, maybe. Like, I'm kind of tired of doing this thing. Seven times he was asked to go out and to see if God was going to answer this prayer. Now, there isn't, you know, something magical about the number seven. The number seven in the Bible symbolizes completion. It's a number of completion. What God is saying through this passage, it isn't like, hey, if God doesn't answer your prayer, it means that you need to pray six more times. It means you need to pray it through to completion. It means pray it through until you're done. It means pray it through until God says that's enough. Seven isn't just to be taken literally, but it's a number that symbolizes 
completion. You've prayed it through. So it doesn't mean that God will answer in your timing or in accordance to your expectations. It means don't let a deferment of an answer to these prayers keep you from believing that he is the God who brings the rain on thirsty land. Now, the reason why the season of drought is precisely the season for you to exercise your faith and to pray. The reason for that is because when we're not in a drought, when we're in a season of abundance, we don't often realize it, but it doesn't require faith to make it through that season. You don't have to use that muscle. It's like, let me give you an example. This past week, um, you know, we, uh, this, this office, we're on the sixth floor. Um, the elevator broke for an entire day, a day and a half or so. And so it's great to be here on the sixth floor, but we actually had to trek up and down this, the steps, you know, six flights of steps to get up here uh, on the day that we, you know, that the elevator broke down. And I didn't know just how out of shape I was because I've always had an elevator. I've always just had to get in, you hit a button and you wait and the elevator just does the work for you. This past week, I realized just how out of shape I was because there's muscles that I never really had to use. That's this pretty sad, but yes, there's muscles like my thigh muscles, particularly that I just never had to use until I had to climb up six flights of steps in the same way. When I'm going through a season of abundance, it's like having an elevator. You don't really need to work really hard for it. But when the elevator breaks down and you realize that you have to do the legwork, you have to do the dirty work, you have to, you know, work hard and exercise, you know, you have to actually put in the strength and the effort. That's when you realize that you never really had to use certain muscles before in the same way. When we go through a season of abundance, often it doesn't require faith. We don't really have to use that faith muscle until we get to that season of drought. That's when you realize, that's when you realize that certain muscles need to be developed, need to be cultivated. These muscles that you thought you had all along until they were tested. That is why the season of drought calls you to pray and to contend and to exercise your faith like never before. Challenge and trial and drought is not just an inconvenience. It is a prerequisite for faith. And faith is a prerequisite for breakthrough. It is in the very moment where you feel that pushback, when you are confronted by the contradiction of what is and what should be. You see that gap between those two things. When you feel that tension and that discrepancy, that you are called to exercise faith in pressing in for what should be, praying those seven times until you see That cloud, the size of a man's hand coming out from the sea. Now, let me give you an example of this. One of the clearest books in the Bible that talks about the culmination of all things, the end of all things, what should be and what will be is the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation talks about where we are headed, where everything is going to be culminating. 
Now, the ironic and perhaps intentional thing about it is that the vision and the words that were given to Apostle John, decades after Jesus ascended into heaven, decades after that, was after the fall of Jerusalem as a city and the dispersing of God's people. It was after this apostle saw for himself the ruins of the city. And it was probably the very moment when it seemed most clear that God's promises seemed lost. Jerusalem was literally in ruins and he had been banished to the island of Patmos. And it was there where Jesus gives them the clearest picture of what will be the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, the new earth, a day when suffering and pain and loss and grief will be no more. Can you imagine that? The last that this apostle saw of the city was probably smoking ruins of a city. And God, from that place, he gives them this vision of a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. So this is my question for you. Have you ever found yourself in that place when you feel like you've lost your way, when it feels like God's promises have been forgotten, when you feel like you're hanging by a a thread, when you feel like God is so distant and so far from you? Have you ever found yourself in that place where you know that this is not the way that things should be? Let me encourage you. It is precisely in that place that God will give you an invitation to exercise your faith. An invitation from the Holy Spirit to begin to believe again. To begin to press in and to fight again. Now for many of us, when, we make it, when we're walking through a season of drought, it is precisely then that it's not just your own faith that you need to exercise. It is precisely then that the faith of brothers and sisters who are walking alongside you becomes most vital. I've walked through many seasons where I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that I would not have made it through without brothers and sisters encouraging me along the way. When I didn't have faith for myself to believe, when I didn't have faith for myself to cry out to God, when I was just depleted and it was in that place that brothers and sisters in Christ came alongside me, prayed for me, believed for me, and they pressed in for my breakthrough. This is the reason why we need family and we need community. We are not designed to make it through on our own. We need not just our own faith to exercise. We need one another's faith to spur us on. And so it is in the season of drought where you encounter the power of faith being walked out, not just your own faith, but also the faith of brothers and sisters in Christ that will fight for you. Now, lastly, a season of drought. It is the time to see God's power at work. When is the perfect time to see God's power at work? It is in the middle of the drought, three and a half years deep. The greatest spiritual revivals have come in the midst of the most unlikely circumstances when it seems the least likely. 
in the middle of growing apathy and sin and lostness, it is there that God chooses to display his power the most. Now, I was raised to find contentment in whatever was given to me. That's the way that I was raised. To be polite and courteous and patient and to not demand, to not inconvenience or not to burden someone else. I think part of it is simply I was raised as a very typical Asian and also a very typical female where I was taught I shouldn't impose myself or be seen as demanding, that I should be accommodating and demure and mostly agreeable to not confront, to not speak up, to not ask to be treated with respect. Just put my head down and work. Don't make a fuss. Don't ruffle any feathers. Your work will speak for itself. And there is strength and nobility in that. It is very necessary. Learning to be thankful for what you've been given. Learning to take things as they come. To make the best of a situation that's outside of your control. But one part I know for sure in my spiritual walk that has taken a lot of work has been learning to ask from God. Because it does not come naturally to me. Learning to say, actually, this is not okay. Actually, I'd like more. Actually, I need more. So can I tell you something that might sound very obvious? You were made for the rain. You were not made for the drought. You Sure, you were made to endure through the drought, but you were not made to live in it. You are made for the rain. You are made to taste and see that God is good. You are made to see that the goodness of the Lord can be tasted in the land of the living. And I can say this because I was a Christian for many years before learning that there is more for me. I was a Christian for many years before I realized that Jesus was someone not just to know about, but someone that I can touch, someone that I can feel, somebody that I can hear, someone that I can relate to, someone that I can develop a loving relationship with. My heart is meant and designed to be alive. This is what I was made for. And for too long, I thought that this was for someone else. This is not for me. This is maybe for some pastor out there or some super Christian out there or maybe the characters in the Bible, but this is not for me. My lot in life is just simply to take what has been given, make the most of it, and hope for the best. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll be lucky and I'll get to taste a little bit. But the Bible says something very different. The Bible says that our inheritance as sons and daughters of God is to taste and see that he is good. Jesus paid too high of a price for us to be complacent with anything less. We are made for the rain. The drought is not our natural state. This is not what we were meant for. This is not our destiny. 
Hundreds of years after what happened on Mount Carmel with prophet Elijah, the apostle James in the New Testament would later write, like write about it in his epistle. And he would encourage us to pray and to contend and to not give up because God answers prayers. In James 5, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And then he says this, Elijah was a human being. Even as we are, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. In other words, James is taking us by the shoulders and he's saying, if God can answer Elijah's prayer, he can answer yours as well. Elijah was just a human being. He wasn't a super Christian. He wasn't a super believer. He was just a human being, just like you are. We're calling out to the same God that stops the rain and brings the rain. It's the same God that works signs and wonders and miracles. It's that same God that we're calling out to. If Elijah and his prayers can open up the heavens, so can your prayers. This applies not only to the state of your own spiritual walk. It it can also apply to areas in your life where you've been praying and contending for a while. It can be breakthrough that you've been longing to see for years. It can be healing in your family that you've been fighting for. It can be that place of holy dissatisfaction where you know that you need God more. You need to taste and see him more. It can be in areas of finance and provision or areas of health or areas in your workplace. There there are multiple areas where we can see discouragement, where we can see a wall. And that's an area that tests your faith right now, an area of drought where God is inviting you in to not give up, to continue to contend in faith that God is the God who brings the rain. Not only that, he wants to bring the rain. It's a God who had ordained the rain to fall upon Israel for blessings to come down. That is the God that we worship. So as I close today, and as I ask Pastor David to come back, come back up to lead us in worship, this is my exhortation. No matter what it is that you are going through right now, whatever area of drought you're going through in your life, this is my exhortation to you. Leverage the drought. Let it lead you to uproot idolatry. Let it lead you as an, into an opportunity to pray and exercise your faith. Take it as a time to see God's power at work. At the end of the day, there's nothing to lose and everything to gain as we cry out to God who says he is good beyond what we could ever ask for or imagine. This is the kind of God that we cry out to. This is the kind of God that we worship. The season of drought. 
might be exactly what we need to jolt us out of neutral, to jolt us out of comfort, to jolt us out of complacency, to jolt us out of mixture and, 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 um, and distractions and um, a, a lack of fire in our heart and zeal in our heart. It could be exactly what we need for us to begin to cry out for God to move once again. Now the breakthrough isn't just, doesn't just look like fire falling down from heaven. It doesn't just look like rain that comes pouring down. The kind of rain that's not just a drizzle or a, or a mist. It's, it's the kind of rain that leaves you sopping wet. We've experienced this kind of rain here in Korea during monsoon season where no amount of umbrellas can save you. It's just like like a faucet being turned on and you're drenched whether you have an umbrella or not. It's that kind of rain. This is not the only way in which God answers prayer. I believe that one of the greatest breakthroughs and the greatest miracles, it wasn't what Elijah did, but it was also Elijah himself. His life, his story, his journey, his history with God. That life lived out in faith, contending for the more, calling out, for the, for the destruction of idols and for the return to God. That life is a true testament of God's glory, God's grace, God's worth, God's power. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says to the Corinthians, You yourselves are our epistle, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You know that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, so not written in a book or a parchment, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but tablets of human heart. This is the beauty and the power of the gospel. God not only rescues us, he also transforms us. Paul is saying, do you want to read an epistle? Do you want to see the glory of the word of God being displayed? Look at your lives. You are the reflection of God's goodness. The gospel isn't just written uh, into stone. It's written and displayed for all to see in flesh, in the human heart. In the same way that the word became flesh with Jesus' first coming, the word is also constantly becoming flesh with Christ's followers as they live out the gospel, laying down their lives, taking up their cross and following him. I believe this is God's greatest miracle. A life that is lived out in faith, in perseverance, and in zealous love for him. This is the miracle of the gospel. That God would take a broken, lost, sinful, prideful, self-serving, jaded and cynical heart. And he'd make something beautiful from it. God loves to do this. And so I want us to close today in a time of prayer and worship.
if you've been feeling discouraged, if you feel like you've been walking in that season of drought where your prayers feel unanswered, where God's promises seem so far and so distant, where you find yourself tired from the fight, tired from the journey, tired from the wrestle. God's spirit encourages us today to not give up and to fight once again, to believe once again, to know that there's hope once again, to go through this holy dissatisfaction, knowing that we were meant, we were made for more. We were meant for more that we're not called to just look around us and be okay with where we are. We're called to ask for more, to believe that God wants to give, to believe that God wants to pour out, to believe that our prayers will be answered. So, Father, we call out to you. We know, God, that we are helpless in our own state, helpless in our own flesh, helpless in our own efforts. But we know that as we call upon you and as we gain strength and encouragement through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will see a church rising up to her feet, a church birthing breakthrough in the place of prayer, a church that does not give up the first seven times, the first 20 times, the first 50 times that we pray, but a church that will continue to contend until we see the rain. A people that are marked by hope, not a people that are marked by circumstance, not a people that are marked by status quo, a people that are marked by hope. A people that are called to rise up beyond our circumstances, beyond by what we see in the natural, to cry out for the rain, to cry out for that outpour. A people who will go out until we see that cloud the size of a man's hand rising up from the sea. A people that know that there is a heavy downpour on the way. If only we would fight. If only we would contend. I thank you, Father, that this is the church that you envision. This is, these are the sons and the daughters that you envision. Not a people that are passive in their faith. Not a people that are content with mixture. Not a people that are content with powerlessness. But a people that believe for the more that you have in store for us. A people that will be willing to go through the, through the discomfort. Through the frustration. Through the disappointment until we get that breakthrough. A people that will not stop believing. But a people that will press on. We thank you, Father, that that is our inheritance. That is our portion. That is our destiny. That is what you envision for your sons and for your daughters. We look to you, God, knowing that you are a good father who has a hope 
and a future for his children. You are a God who exceeds our expectations. A God who is calling out to us. Ask and you will receive. Knock and the door will be open. Seek and you will find. A God who challenges us outside of our comfort. Outside of our complacency. Out of our, outside of our politeness. Our courtesy. Our inability to come before you with boldness. And you say, ask. I am a God who is willing, who is able to bring the rain. A God who is fighting for your breakthrough. A God who is your defender. A God who is your mighty God. Call upon me. Pull on me. Exercise your faith. Cry out and see if I will not answer your prayers. We thank you, Father. We look to you once again. We lift up our heads to you once again. And we ask, Father, that as we walk this walk, we would see a mighty church that is walking out in in fierceness, in passion, in zeal. A church that knows that you have more in store. That it would be for your namesake, for your renown, for your glory, for your fame. The name of Jesus would be exalted above every other name. We thank you, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.